You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. By the way, um, all of the books that we shipped here sold out, but Benny brought more books. Uh, and so if you didn't pick up a book, because we're not selling these, this is just a fundraiser for Wagner University Scholarship Fund for our pastors in some of the developing nations like Kenya, India, uh, Colombia, uh, Nepal. And so we uh, are asking for a suggested donation. And, uh, and so I hope you pick up a book uh, afterwards. And so I'm going to give this to Verna's daughter. And uh, this is for you. This is good. It's called Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival. And, um, and, and I want to talk about history. I want to talk about, it's really interesting. There's a verse in Isaiah 51, verse 1. It says, look to the rock from where you came from. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, your mother. Uh, that's not the text, but uh, it's really interesting to set up for the text, which is Genesis chapter 12, because we're going to do a study on Abraham this morning. And I'm just going to share three points about Abraham, how he was a man of radical obedience. Number two, I'm going to talk about how he was righteous, right with God, right with others, and, um, and how he was generous, and how he was a giver. And, uh, and that was segue into this morning's offering. You thought we forgot about, we haven't forgot about the offering. There's no pastor that forgets about an offering, okay? So I just want to just say that. And I'm not even the pastor of this house, but I just want to just say that we're going to receive our tithes and offering at the end of the service because I think it's germane to the message and uh, we'll segue really nicely into it. And, and so, um, so he's called Abraham, he's called our father, it says that twice in the New Testament. Paul says it twice in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians uh, chapter 4, but also in Romans chapter 4. And last night I gave a message on Abraham is, uh, was a man of faith, and I just talked about one aspect of him. He's a tremendous man of faith, and we had a healing service. We had a number of people healed, and this man, Felix, who just recently started to come to this church, uh, had a broken foot, and he showed me the cast. He took it off and showed it to me. Why don't you hold it up so we could see it? Because this is amazing healing that took place last night. And we give Jesus all the praise and all the glory. Come on. And so, so you know, and again, uh, Abraham is a man of faith. We had people healed of carpal tunnels and other things. But, but just that was just something that uh, stood out to me last night. And so I want you to turn with me, and if we could read from um, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and if we could stand for the reading of the word, I'd like to do that just to honor God's word. Jesus is the word. Uh, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Now the Lord said to Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Father, I just ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. We want to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. We want to become like you. And Lord, uh, you've given us an example in Abraham, the father of our faith. 
Help us to follow him as he followed you. And above all, Lord, we want to be like Jesus. So conform us into the image of your son today through your word and by your spirit. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. And so the first thing I want to talk about is radical obedience because God has, he has an encounter. Now, this is uh, 430 years before the Bible was given to Moses. He had no Bible. Let me emphasize that again. He had no written word. And he lived in Ur of Chaldees. Where is that? Well, that is today Iraq. He was a pagan. And uh, so he wasn't influenced uh, by Judaism because it really hadn't started because he's the one that was the father of Judaism. And you have to understand, we're talking about after Adam and Eve sinned, Every, the sin came into our, our, our world and, and death with it. And to this day, in Romans chapter 8, says all of creation groans for the full manifestation of the sons of God. The earth, creation, is waiting for you to come forth as a son and daughter of the living God. But God started the redemptive history by picking another family, Adam and Eve, blew it. Cain, their son, murdered his brother Abel. And we see how evil came into the garden. He had to scatter them. He had to lead them out of the garden. And from that point on, we've been in one crisis after another because of the fall of humanity. And any evil you see today is because of the sinfulness of humanity. We're not good people. We're sinners saved by grace. It's only by the grace of God we're righteous. I mean, there are people who are nice and, and um, polite and cordial, and we learn how to have. But even with that, it's called common grace. What is common grace? Well, the Reformers, uh, Martin Luther, the Reformers of Protestant Reformation, said that God had given not only saving grace, and I want to talk about that because we're born again by grace, we're saved through faith, but common grace, that he gives grace to nations to keep people from killing each other and destroying each other. If it wasn't for the grace of God to keep law and order, we would just have anarchy in every nation. So there is common grace. And so you look at people and say, well, they're pretty good and, and nice. And that's the grace of God. Even that's the grace of God. But what I want to talk about is saving grace because Abraham begins the journey of becoming our father and receiving righteousness uh, by grace uh, when he believed. But let's go ahead, first of all, to his obedience. So God says to him, go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, it's one thing if God was calling Abraham to, I'm, I'm going to use his full name uh, because uh, Abraham means uh, father of many. Abraham means exalted father, but he's a father of many because in our context, he's our father. It's one thing for him to, let's say, go from like New York to Boston. You know, and that would be quite a journey on foot. But we're talking about 1,500 miles. So he tells Sarah, I have good news and bad news. The good news, I had an encounter with God. He reveals himself to me, spoke to me, and told me we're to leave our country, our relatives. And he's going to show us an amazing land that we're going to prosper in. The bad news, I have no idea where we're going. <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> but I'm just going to be obeying him, following him, the voice of God. This is such an important truth 
because he heard the voice of God. Now, when I talk about the voice of God, I don't know if it was audible. The scripture doesn't say if it was audible or not. But I do know the scripture does emphasize that he's constantly speaking to us. The problem is we're not listening. God is speaking to pagans, unbelievers, all the time. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 30, verse 21. He says that I'm going to whisper behind you. Now, this is really speaking to God's people. I'm going to whisper behind you. It doesn't say shout. I'm going to whisper. This is the way walk in it, whether to the right or to the left. Of course, Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice. How many of you are God's sheep? If you're God's sheep, you're, if, if, by the way, if you're not, you can become a sheep. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you an invitation to give your heart to Jesus Christ, and you could be born again. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And so that is a beautiful, we talk about the prophetic, but that is something for every believer to hear the voice of God. And so my opinion is, is that it wasn't audible, but he heard and he got revelation, and he drew closer. Why whisper? Because he wants intimacy. If it's shouting, you know, you could shout at a distance. But someone like me, hard of hearing, if you want to talk to me, you got to get real close, right up to my ear, to whisper, to talk to me. And so he's after intimacy. He loves you with an everlasting love. He says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you in James chapter 4. And so he wants you to come close. So some, so. God gave him an encounter in his presence. We talked about this last night. And so Abraham gets closer and so, okay, where do you want me to go? I'm going to show you, but I want moment by moment dependency. I'm not going to give you the big picture because then all of a sudden you'll stop listening. You just know where you're going. But if you are dependent upon my GPS system, just showing you where to turn left, right, to go ahead straight, then you're going to be constantly in tune with my spirit. So it's almost like an on-the-job training and the prophetic, as he left Ur of Chaldees. I mean, when God spoke to me to leave Maryland, uh, we grew up in the East Coast, for those who don't know. My sister went to Smith College here in Massachusetts. My brother went to Duke, and we're just East Coast people. But when he spoke to me to move to California, we're talking about 3,000 miles. No family, no relatives. I didn't know anyone there, but I had a dream. And in this dream, a black man appeared to me in the dream, and I think he was the angel of Los Angeles. Because in the dream, I knew he was 6'5", 300 pounds, without an ounce of fat. He was chiseled. And he said, the Lord's calling you to Los Angeles where there's going to be a great revival, great harvest. And so I woke up my wife, and uh, this is September 2nd, 1982. We got out of bed, we got down on our knees, and we just said, Lord, we just asked for a supernatural confirmation because we know no one there. It's just like Abraham, just stepping out in faith. But the presence of God was so manifest, we were manifesting, we were shaking under the power of God, even though this is prior to Toronto. This is 1982. And of course, God opened the door. Our pastor sent us out. I don't believe in went. I believe sent. <laughs> in other words, we just go. We just leave and go from one church to another and say, how about being sent out? How about integrity? Look, your pastors will bless you. We always bless anyone who wants to leave, even if it's not for the right reason. We bless you. Because as long as you're part of the uh, church, you're part of the one church, you're part of the body of Christ. There's only one church. The early church father says, one holy apostolic church. And the word apostolic. It's the Greek word apostolos, which means sent out. We're all to be sent out. 
and we're to be sent out to the nations. And so he goes on this journey dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I love this about him. And he gives revelation of God. He calls him the eternal father. He calls God eternal father. I mean, just imagine getting the revelation he's uncreated. Think about that for the next million years. You still won't figure that out. He never had a beginning. You, me, the apple tree, we all had a beginning, but God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He knew God. He knew him so well that he's called the friend of God four times in the Bible. No one in the Old Testament is called a friend of God. David's not called a friend of God. He was a man after God's heart. But even David fell into adultery, murdered a man. And of course, Moses was the, he was Moses. Moses is Moses, you know. (laughs) He got the commandments, the Torah, on Mount Sinai, but he's not called a friend of God. He loved God's presence. He says, unless your presence goes with us in Exodus 33, we can go absolutely no further. Because God said, because they had committed idolatry, made the golden calf in the wilderness, uh, God says, I'm going to take them to promised land because I gave a promise, but I'm not going with them. And Moses said, what's going to distinguish us from all the other nations if your presence don't go with us? I want to submit to you, we have something that Hollywood doesn't have with all the sound effects and special effects and billions of dollars for producing movie. We have something much more valuable, much more powerful, much more graphic, and that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Moses understood that and said, unless your presence goes with us, we can go absolutely no further. So we see his radical obedience. The second thing we see is that he's righteous. He's right with God. It says in Genesis chapter 15, and we're not going to look at all the text just to save time, but God makes a covenant with Abraham. He said, look at the stars in the heaven. He said, so will your descendants be. Look at the grains of sand, so will your descendants be. And he believed. And God said, you're now reckoned as righteous. You are right with me. His faith caused this supernatural encounter where his name is now changed from Abram to Abraham, the father of multitudes. But I want you to look at one passage that I think is absolutely crucial because it's not just for him to be righteous. And righteousness means having right standing with God and being right with one another. It is vertical, but also horizontal. It's not enough just to be right with God, but are you loving one another? Are you loving your family? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving your enemies? I mean, this nation is so divided. But the Bible says we're to love our enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you so that you could be sons and daughters. That's what's going to distinguish you from the rest of the world by our love. And so in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, I want to go there, so... This is really important because, by the way, the context of this, and again, I don't have time to develop this because of the shortness of time. God's ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. Now, even most pastors won't even say that because we've become so politically correct that we won't say that homosexuality is sin, but the Bible says it is sin. And it says, do not be deceived. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I was on a television show with Alan Dershowitz the famous uh, law professor from Harvard University. 
And uh, he said, uh, and even though there was an audience, we were taking questions from the audience, and there were several million people watching this, uh, but, but on television, but, but he said, and turned to me and said, I always wanted to ask a pastor, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? Can you imagine that on television, being asked that? And, uh, and, but I had to be uh, true. I can't lie. I can't just fudge because I'm with uh, this uh, liberal professor. Now, he's a constitutionalist, so that's something I appreciate about him. He's brilliant. He's retired, but he's still on the news, and he's consulted all the time legally. So I said, well, you know, it's not my opinion. I didn't say it, but the Bible said it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do not be deceived. Do you not know that adulterers, murderers, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God? He goes on to say that. But here's the good news, and this is what I emphasize in verse 11. It's, but with such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. And I said, look, I'm not casting aspersion on it because I was, I was not straight before I gave my life to Jesus Christ. So he looked at me, oh, you are gay? I said, no, I wasn't gay. I was immoral, but that's not being straight as well. We all were. But the grace of God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though I was dead in my trespasses, in my sins. I was a drug addict, I was a drug pusher. I joke, I may have been the first Korean hippie in America, it's just back in, late 60s, early 70s, and I never ran into another Korean hippie. I had hair longer than Judy's hair. And, um, and so, you know, uh, it was just during the whole hippie revolution, and I was a Marxist, protest against the war in Vietnam on May Day, May the 4th. Why? Because on May 4th, there were four students killed at Kent State University, four dead in Ohio. And uh, it was just that very turbulent time the 60s, the 70s, I mean, you know, Kennedy was assassinated in 63, Dr. King was assassinated in 68, there were rights everywhere, and I was out there protesting against the war. Now, I have to confess, I was really selfish because I didn't want to get drafted. <laughs> I was ready to get drafted, and I wanted to see the war, and the war ended right in 73 before I did get drafted. And thank God I gave my life to Jesus Christ in 1973. By the way, the Lord delivered me from drugs in one day. May 25th, I've never been back. It's the grace of God, never been back. And I pinch myself, I'm a pastor with four adult children. Three of them are pastors out of four. I have nine grandchildren. They're the cutest thing you've ever seen. And I just love them so much. And I just feel like, Jesus, thank you so much. I should either be dead or in prison but God saved me, and I'm so grateful for it. But he, we, I look at verse 19, just cut to the chase. But this is, this is in Sodom. He's ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but he wants to consult Abraham. And verse 19 said, For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Please underscore this. Because Jesus called the way, the truth, and the life. The early church was called the way. There's a very interesting verse that the people of Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the way of God. We need to know God's way, his heart. And what does that look like? It's the next sentence. So that the Lord, it says here, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. 
so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him, that he's going to be a great nation, he's going to be blessed, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Righteousness, justice, these are very important words. Because the Bible says the foundation of God's throne, Psalm 89, verse 14, is righteousness and justice. Same words here. Sadek is the word righteous. Mishpat is justice. And it's a legal term. It means having just judges, just uh, elected officials, just laws, no corruption. And he elaborates this in Deuteronomy. But the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice, and has said mercy and truth proceeds from that throne. Psalm 89, verse 19 is very, very important. Where do they get that is from the very words that God said to about Abraham. Now, please, let me accentuate this. He's to teach his children to be righteous, to be right with God, right with others. It's not just about you. It's not just you getting saved. God has a heart's desire to see the blessing of God go to a thousand generations. We know the sins of the fathers are passed down to the third and fourth generation, but the blessing of God is up to a thousand generations. And here we see apostle, prophet, pastor Verna uh, having generation of a blessing of children that love. My great-grandmother was one of the first ones to get saved in the Pyongyang revival of 1907. And Christianity is very young in Korea because missionaries came in 1880. So it's not like we've had hundreds of years of Christianity in Korea. But I'm here because of my father was the first Korean Southern Baptist pastor in North America. And now I'm a pastor. My son's a pastor. My two daughters are ordained pastors. And it's amazing the legacy and the blessing because we're to teach our children and our household the ways of God. What does that mean? To be right with God, to be right with one another, but uphold biblical justice. I'm not talking about social justice. I'm talking about biblical justice. And whenever there's injustice, we've got to fight it. We see all that with William Wilberforce, the great reformer who fought against the slave trade from 1780 to 1807. I write about this in my book, Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival. And how he was a member of parliament, brilliant, Cambridge graduate. In fact, when he got saved, he was a member of parliament, he wanted to become a pastor, but John Newton, who was a pastor, Anglican pastor, but a former slave ship owner, said, how many believers are in parliament? How many people have a Cambridge degree? You're there for a divine appointment. You're there. And he told them, you're there to end the slave trade and end slavery. And he had this aha moment. He had an encounter with God. He realized this was his ministry. How many know we're all called to ministry? We've got to get away from platonic dualism of thinking that, you know, clergy, laity. No, we're all kings and priests. First Peter 2.9 says you are royal priesthood, royalty, and also minister. Revelation 1.5 says you're kings and priests. So how many ministers do we have here? I gave you the answer. Every hand should go up. <laughs> this is not, you know, this is, I'm not trying to trick you. It's just like the questions that I asked Verna. You know, all you have to do is say yes. How many ministers are here? You know, yes, okay. And so we see that he has to teach them righteous. So, so we saw slavery end in Great Britain, 1833, without fighting, firing one shot 
We had to go through a civil war. But let me tell you the number one injustice today, and I believe is hands that shed innocent blood, I believe it's abortion. And it's so egregious, coming from California, we just passed a proposition called Proposition 1. You know what that means? Is that up to the last day of the ninth month, you can kill a baby. We're talking about infanticide. And it takes it one step further, that up to 28 days of the mother uh, or whomever, if a baby dies within 28 days after, there'll be no criminal prosecution. This is madness. This is unjust. This is evil. And so we have to speak out, just like, you know, there were Christians when Hitler was killing the, the Jews in concentration camp, no one spoke out except for a few, like Bonhoeffer. But now we're seeing something with 63 million babies aborted since Roe v. Wade. Now, thank God Roe v. Wade's been overturned, but it goes to a state level. And in a place like California with 40 million, we're the number one abortion state. Massachusetts, per capita, maybe more so. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we as believers, we're to be salt and light. We're to bring about transformation. So he says, I want you to teach your children about biblical justice, to take a stand for injustice of evil in society. Wow, this is before, 400 years before Moses gave the law. So that's why he says, look to Abraham, your father. Follow his example. Receive an impartation from his heart. And so the third thing we see is that he was a generous man. And um, in what, uh, what I want to highlight is, is that there's a really amazing encounter he has. And if you could turn with me to Genesis chapter 14, uh, he has this encounter. Now, there's a war going on with a lot of the kings, but there's one king that shows up in verse 18. Now, first of all, he was very generous even before this encounter with Melchizedek, King Melchizedek. Even with Lot, you know, they could prosper so much. The livestock was so uh, abundant uh, that actually the shepherds were fighting each other because they wanted the water rights, they wanted the grass grazing rights and all that. And so Abraham said, listen, you know, we've gone too, too rich and wealthy. And so there's plenty of land but you need to pick which land to go. Instead of saying, I'm the uncle, I'm the boss, uh, you go here. He says, you pick. And whatever you decide, not, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. What, I mean, what kind of heart is that? It's the father's heart. That's why he's the father Abraham. He just wants to bless his nephew Lot. So Lot goes to Sodom and goes to the other side. He goes to what is today Israel. Sodom is what is now in Jordan. By the way, archaeologists just recently discovered Sodom. They found a tell, which is a mountain, basically a large hill with cities that is built up, so it's not a natural mountain. It's just cities on top of cities. And they found the tell, and they found it just recently. We're talking about 2012, Sodom. And the reason why they know they hit Sodom is because after they dug, they hit six feet of ashes with the still the acrid smell of sulfur. It had been preserved for 2,000 years, I mean 3,700 years. And then they found the mother load, the golden grail, the gate of Sodom. And so this is written up in... Um, uh, Eric McTaxis' book, It's Atheism Dead, and I encourage you to read that. Eric is a graduate from Yale, 
and uh, just a brilliant, uh, brilliant writer, best-selling author of Bonhoeffer, but his Atheism Dead is just the best book on, on Christian apologetics. And, um, and so they found it. So, so here we see how he was generous as, as a father to his nephew, who's like a son to him. But let's look at verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. And here he is breaking bread, a prophetic picture of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And then Abraham gave him a tenth of all. He gave him a tithe of the spoils of war. One of the things I hear from young people is that, well, I don't believe in tithing because I'm not under the law. You know, we're in the New Testament, New Covenant. This is 430 years before the law. It got incorporated into the law. And so we see him giving a tithe. Again, Father Abraham, we're to follow him. He's to be, we're to look to him as the example for us to follow. And Jesus affirms this. If I told you Jesus affirmed tithe in Scripture in the New Testament, would you tithe? Most people say yes. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Now, the whole chapter, I love Matthew because, um, you know, Matthew was a, uh, he was a scoundrel. He was a tax collector. He was uh, corrupt and he would take extra uh, and he got wealthy. And we see that when he got converted, he has a big house, invites Jesus, all the other disciples to his home, and has a big party in his home. And, um, and of course, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Again, he gets radically converted in Luke 19. But I love Matthew because Matthew is one of my favorite gospels because you have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You have all the parables of the kingdom, Matthew 13. I love that. And then he has, uh, of course, the great chapter on love, Matthew 22, 37. And he says, when the scribe comes up to Jesus, said, which one is the greatest commandment? Of all the laws in the Old Testament, which is number one? By the way, there's 619 laws, if you count them. A lot of laws in the Old Testament. So he asked a really good question. Which one's the top priority? And he said this. He answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And Mark's version says strength as well. This is the first and foremost commandment. This is it. This is that. In other words, if you get this right, it's like buttoning a shirt. If you miss the first button, everything's out of alignment, so you have to unbutton. And if you get the first one, you're aligned. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's uh, Matthew 22, 39. In other words, he's saying, if you love me with all your heart, you will end up loving your neighbor as yourself. If you love Jesus you'll end up being a lover. Would you know what the key to your marriage success is? Love Jesus. Are you loving Jesus? Are you receiving his love? Because then your neighbor is your, the first one is your spouse, is your wife, is your husband, if you're married. Of course, it encompasses other people, but it begins with your family. And so that's why I love Matthew, and I love the Great Commission version of Matthew 28. But here we see... He's rebuking, a whole chapter on rebuking religious leaders, Pharisees, uh, hypocrites. Uh, they, you know, God hates religion. You know, 
I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, people like, he doesn't hate Jew, he just hates religion because it becomes a form of godliness, but there's no reality, there's no power, the Bible says. And so in verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23, 23. Hypocrites, for you tithe on the mint and dill and cumin. In other words, you're so, you're so meticulous, you're so legalistic, you even tithe on spices. But you've neglected the weightier provision of the law. And again, he says, justice. The foundation of his son is righteousness and justice. You're to teach your family, your household, justice, righteousness, mercy. And it's again, mercy, Psalm 89, hesed. It's the same word as elios in, in Greek, but the Hebrew word is hesed, goes from his throne. And faithfulness, and that word faithfulness is the Greek word pistis, which means faith. These are the most important things. Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man of justice. He was a man of love. Hesed. He was a generous man. So then he says this. But these things you should do. In other words, you should be just. You should be full of love. You should be a person of faith. You, have, you should do these things without neglecting the other thing. So what's he saying? He says, look, look, go ahead and tithe. I'm not saying don't tithe. I want you to tithe. But focus on love. Focus on justice. Focus on being a person of faith. Are you seeing that? So Jesus affirms tithing, but highlights the weightier values. Everyone should have values. Family values. Biblical values. In fact, I tell people, I don't tell them who to vote for. I say, vote biblically. Vote with biblical values. Vote life, because that's the Bible. And so it becomes pretty clear which platform is pro-life, okay? But, you know, I grew up as a Democrat. My parents were Democrats, but they shifted because of the whole thing on freedom and liberty with communism and uh, during the, the Cold War with Reagan, when Reagan became president, my dad switched and I switched. I became born again. I began to see the issue of life because what you said about freedom, Verna, is so true. But here's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3.19, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.19, where the Spirit of the Lord is, and that's why we love the Holy Spirit, because God wants us to be free, but not free to do anything, but free to do what's right. Righteousness and justice goes from his throne. So we see he's, he wants us to, to be generous with our tithes and offerings. One of the biggest lies in the church, and, and I've been a pastor for 43 years, and, and it's this mentality. This is my hard-earned money. I could do whatever I want to do with it. So don't tell me to tithe. And God says, no, it's not your money. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord. Haggai 2, verse 8. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24, verse 1. The world and those who dwell within it on that one verse, Psalm 34, verse, verse one, 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. We're not even our own. He owns us twice. He made us, and then he bought us with his blood. And so, over, over the years, I, I've come to the conclusion, it's not the issue of tithing when they argue with me about tithing. It's the issue of lordship. Are they really under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ? 
Are they really walking in obedience to God? Because if you love Jesus, you're going to do it. When I first got saved, I was so in love with Jesus, so grateful that he delivered me. When someone told me about tithing, oh, okay. But to me, that wasn't enough. I just said, Lord, I want to give my offering. He says, bring your tithes and offering to my house and test me now in this in Malachi chapter three. If I'll not open the windows of heaven. Now, how many doors do you have in your house? Well, if it's a large house, maybe I have three doors. But how many windows do you have even in a small house? Multiple windows. And I say this, you can't afford not to tithe because you're going to tithe to the doctor and car mechanic and the dentist. And Look, you want the favor of God. He said, I'll open it. It's not just finance. It's just a blessed life. Abraham was blessed. Yes, he was prosperous. It says in Genesis 13, uh, verse 2, he was extremely wealthy with gold, silver, and cattle, which are commodities that today, if you had it, I mean, gold price is just going off the charts because we're in a 40-year high inflation. And so I'm not telling you how to invest. I'm just saying that he was very wealthy. He was blessed. But it was more than just finances. He was so blessed, God says, I'm going to use you to be a model to bless all the families of the earth through Yeshua, through Jesus. And now all those who are children of Israel are blessed. It says in Galatians chapter 3, we're blessed along with Abraham. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And so what I want to do in closing is that I want to do two things. Number one, I want us to really give our heart to Jesus Christ and ask God for grace so that we could be radically obedient like Abraham was. When he speaks to us, we say, yes, Lord. We're willing to follow you wherever you want us to go. But let me give you one last illustration of obedience. At the end of his life, he says, I want you to take your son, your darling son, the one you love, and I want you to go to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. Now this is just mind-blowing because we see how God hates child sacrifice. Because part of the destruction of Jericho and the promised land is that Baal worshipers, those who worship Molech, offer child sacrifice. Archaeologists have actually found bones of children embedded into walls because they sacrificed the child, buried them in the wall because they wanted protection from the enemies, the walls to protect you from your enemies. And they somehow, with this uh, demonic uh, worldview, but the, the baby into that wall to protect them from their enemies. So child sacrifice is an abomination. Again, the Lord says in Proverbs 6, 16, there are six things I hate, seven which is an abomination. Hands that shed innocent blood. So why would God ask him to sacrifice? It doesn't make any sense. It goes totally contrary to the nature and character of God. God's a good God. He's a loving God. Why would he want us? And so Abraham's wrestling with this, and the writer of Hebrews gives, again, inspired scripture, Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham believed that he was going to be a father of many, and this is his only child. So if I sacrifice him, then God has to raise him from the dead. And he's going to become alive and have children, and he'll be a father of many. And so even though it was shocking, he was so radical in obeying the voice of the Lord, he takes Isaac up to Mount Moriah. And it's really interesting that Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And what he was doing was prophetically foretelling of his son, whom he loves, his only begotten son, 
who's going to be carrying the cross up to Calgary, Golgotha, which is the same location as Mount Moriah. Come on. This is not an accident. The Bible is so amazingly accurate. And he's going to die for the sins of the world. And so Abraham takes him up to Mount Moriah. He prepares the wood. He lifts his knife up. And he's ready to sacrifice him, believing that God's going to raise him from the dead. And as soon as he raises his hand, God says, Abraham, we call this a theophany where God appears. Or maybe it's a Christophany, maybe Jesus, because he's eternal. He said, Abraham, now I see that you will withhold nothing from me. You love me with everything. That you're so radically obedient. Look over to the right, and there's a ram stuck. Again, it wasn't a pig. wasn't a cattle. wasn't a calf. It was a lamb the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Again, the metaphor for Jesus who would take away our sins, an innocent lamb. Take that lamb and sacrifice him. And then he says, now I'm going to reveal to you my name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides in perpetuity from that point on. And so we're hit with inflation. They're now talking about maybe stagflation, which is inflation with recession. And so we're saying, what the heck is going on? Last year, our president had to say, right before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, he said, I assure you, you will have enough food. I mean, first time a president had to say that because the supply lines, and still the supply lines, when I wrote my book, my publisher couldn't publish it because they didn't have enough paper to print. So I took matters in my own hand. I started a publishing company called Wagner Publication. Benny and I are partners of that. We resurrected a publication that went bankrupt under Peter Wagner, and we resurrected it because we had access to paper than my publisher had. And that's how Wagner Publication came to be. But I want to just say that God's going to provide for you according to his riches and glory and in Christ Jesus. He's going to bless you because you're a child of Abraham. But he says, I want you to bring your tithes and offering into my house. But more than that, I want your heart. I want you to be radical in your love and obedience to me. I want you to just give me everything. And when I tell you to do something, you just say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. And of course, that's the smartest thing you could do because he will never lead you to do anything that's not going to be for your best because he loves you with an everlasting love. Let's all stand in word of prayer. Now, in a group this size, I know there's some here who maybe have never given their heart to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to ask you not to leave, but I want you to pray this prayer. And for those who are believers, this prayer is the same prayer as the one for those who are making a first-time commitment, but for you, it will be more consecration, rededication to Jesus Christ. Because what God wants is your heart. He wants your life. So if we, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you believe that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm going to ask you to repeat after me and vocalize this prayer. It'll be very simple, but make it your prayer, though. Mean it in your heart, because God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. So will you pray with me? Just say this, Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my sins. I repent. Jesus, I give you my life. All that I am, all that I have, I confess 
Jesus is my Lord. And by your grace, I will love you. I will obey. I will trust. And no matter what, fill me with your spirit. I receive your grace by faith. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may be seated. Amen and amen. I pray that you meant that. And if you pray that for the first time, please see Pastor Paul or Pastor Debbie and some of the other pastors here, the leaders here. But we're going to receive our tithes and offering. And, and I want you to now be a doer of the word. All right. So if you've never tithed, I just want you to step out and do something. And so we're going to give you, I, even I did this last night. You can just put your phone to the QR code uh, in your giving envelope. Uh, you could text the number that's shot up there. Is it up here? Yes, yeah, right there. Text Bridge Metro West. I mean, it's amazing how easy it is now for us. Those who are watching online, I want to encourage you to give. Bring your tithes and offering. But make this a regular habit. Don't, don't just do it one time. Sue and I have been 43 years. We've tithed all of our lives. In fact, we have practiced graduated giving. Every year we give more than what we gave the year before. And over the years, it didn't happen overnight, but now we're at 65% we give away. Our goal is to give away 90%. I live off of 10%. We want to give everything away because we know we have one short life. We can't take a single thing with us. But I want to do all that I can to advance God's kingdom. And then um, I'm sorry I have to take off the airport because I have to catch a flight. Uh, so I won't be around to greet you or sign books. But, uh, but anyway, I want to just uh, close with this word of prayer. And, uh, and bless this offering and bless you. Father, we ask you to speak to us while we're to give. As far as our offering, we do bring our tithe into this house. And Lord, especially as we celebrate Paul David's birthday yesterday, Lord, let's bless him with a birthday gift with outrageous generosity. Let's honor the man of God in this house. So speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Tell us what we're to give when we give in faith. And we know, Lord, that the word says that you'll open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing. I pray a shalom blessing upon the marriages here, the parents who are here with their kids. I claim Acts 16.31 for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you and your family will be saved. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance and give you the shalom of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.